Yeah, good morning, listeners. It's uh, 10.32 on Community Radio, FM 98.3, People Powered Radio. This is news from the drug war front. Uh, my name's Jeff, and my co-presenter is uh, Marion. Good morning. Good morning, Jeffrey. Good morning, listeners. And, yeah, welcome to news from the drug war front on this very cloudy morning, but it's muggy out there, isn't it? Yeah? The weather's different every day. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, we've had sunny days and then tiddly booms all night. It's been mad. Yet Perth had the hottest day on record yeah, or something. Yeah, and a mad bushfire, bushfire that yep. they've had. Oh. Lost a few houses. Just before we start, Jeffrey, can I do a big shout-out, sure. please, yes. to... Uh, Margaret Clark and Trace McPartland. Trace is on her way up to see Margaret now, who's... Margaret's not well, not going to be well for a while and is in palliative care at the moment, we know. Um, but she's... Take care, Trace, on the road, darling. Look after yourselves and be kind to each other. You'll probably hear this on the podcast as opposed to um, yeah. right now, which yep. I'd love you to hear, but just take care of each other. When Margaret, you may not be a peer, but you're of my generation and I feel for you, darling, but another, you know, woman who wasn't listened to by the doctors and we do a bit about... We've got a know, story a on violence. women and, yeah. it, look, it's sort of tangentially related to drug use. Um, there's an well, extra impact of gender it, and drug it use. It is. It's gender, drug use and violence. But it's yeah? still a big issue and we'll get to it that. It is a big issue. And it's about being ignored by doctors for months. Well, that too. And suddenly finding that you're basically terminally yeah, ill. You were. That's just, how wrong is that? There was a reason you weren't feeling well. Indeed. Yeah, so welcome listeners to today's edition of News from the Drug War Front, which is brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy and The Connection, which is Canberra's peer-based drug and alcohol service for First Nations clients. Uh, the show tries to promote a broad array of services that Karma provides and they're ever-increasing, and we also report on stories that are relevant to illicit drug users from Australia and also around the world, and hopefully promote uh, discussion and education about the need for some different approaches to dealing with the harms caused by problematic substance use in a world of prohibition. You know, because the policies related to that, as we have an article about that too from Filter Mag, the policies associated with alcohol and drug use uh, have been catastrophic and are not really promoting anything. Anyway, let me tell you about karma and what we do there. We believe at Karma that people who use drugs should be treated with dignity and respect, both as human beings and as consumers of health and social services. Karma works to reduce the discrimination and the stigma experienced by drug users and sometimes perpetrated by drug users themselves on each other. Um, the uh, Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy is the drug user organiser alcohol, tobacco and other drug uh, consumer organisation for the ACT. Uh, Connection is the Indigenous version of the same. It's co-located with Karma mm -hmm. at uh, Level 1 Shop, what, Jeffrey? I always get that uh, wrong. Shop 17. That's right, Level Churches 1. Churches Centre. Yep, the Churches Centre in Belconnen. The number is 62533643. And it's open from 10am to 4pm, Monday to Friday. Um, it program, Programs at Karma include the Peer Treatment Support Program, the First Nations Program by The Connections, Karma Naloxone Program, 
Karma's Community Development and Mentoring Program, the Fixed Peer Education Program, the radio show, as you know, the Reach, Teach, Treat, Hep C Peer Education and Treatment Project in partnership with Hep ACT, and the Karma Primary Healthcare Clinic, which is on Thursdays mm-hmm. from 10 till 2. That's the normal hours, And has hours, a yep. doctor there from 11 nurse. o'clock and a nurse there is that's available that you might be interested in doing yeah. then you can you can select that in the without being in somebody's face and feeling obligated exactly. you can just make a choice and do it if you want to exactly people often feel intimidated by the presence of another person and therefore feel like they can offer to do something that they're really not interested in and then feel out of guilt that they need to turn up or they don't turn up because mm. they feel guilty and then they feel guilty about not turning up so it becomes a mess. Yeah. yeah. Well, the good thing about this is part of the induction is um, Natasha gets a, a new person to speak to every staff member yep. about what they do, the history at Karma, how long it's been there, what they're trying to achieve. Um, so they get a full picture of yeah. Karma's sort of hist- overall history, you know, yeah. part of the history. Basically what they're there for. What they're there for. And, and what's available for them to yeah. become involved in if they want to. Which surprises a, yeah. lot, a lot of people. Indeed. Well, I keep on finding that every week there's something new to add to what Karma does. Yeah, there's just such a range of things. Yeah. And, and you- there's always going to be something new. There's never going to be a time when... <clears throat> Excuse me. New programs or new projects are like there's a there's all a blank page as far as drug and alcohol operations are concerned. Mm. So we'll never be out of a job, which is a shame to say. But there you go. Look, I'm hoping, Marion, that the ACT clearly the most progressive jurisdiction in the country, and we yep. should be grateful for that. Um, and it may not be steps that are as big as we'd like or, you know. No, tiny steps are steps nonetheless step. as long as they're forward. And yeah? we should be uh, hopeful and uh, appreciate the – look, it takes a lot of courage to um, advance anywhere forward Absolutely. in this area. It's and to disagree with your funding body, that's a bravery that you can't overlook, yeah, and yet that's what karma is there for, to say this is what users need. And this is how that it's not just about what they need, but how they need to get it. Yeah. So the process, not just the outcome, is important. I think Karma got a lot of credibility during the COVID uh, disaster, yep. um, which was very um, not only was helpful. the radio program available yes. to give out the information, but Karma was providing services in to the red zone drug users mm. with COVID and accommodating them or providing food for them and contact for them to make sure that they didn't go out and communicate the disease to it other was people. Huge. Yeah, it was absolutely with huge. With a great contribution. Well, I'll just quickly finish this disclaimer. Yes, um, sorry. Uh, Karma focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development and seeks to reduce the harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation mm-hmm. through the provision of programs that foster community development and the delivery of person-centred holistic healthcare. So we want to meet the person where, the, where they're at, not yep. impose on them. Karma advocates for equity of health service delivery for all people. All right, we'll go to a song you've picked. Um, I've brought a Mamas and the Papas definitive yeah, collection. Look, this is the one of the, from one of their very first albums, and it was one of the first songs I ever heard of theirs. And it's called Monday Monday, and anyone doesn't remember it will certainly know about Monday. Oh, they're beautiful harmonies. Yeah, so. fabulous. Mamas and the Papas. Ba-da. 
That was Mum and Slim Puppers and uh, their classic hit, uh, Monday, Monday. It's 10 minutes to 11. You're listening to news from the drug war front. We're going to look at a piece that about attitudes towards women. And even though it's only tangentially related to drug use... Um, it's very are, relevant to it, drug use. Very relevant to the way women are treated. Um, I've always thought that there's a gender aspect to prohibition, but this is by Kate Fitzgibbon and Serena McDuff, uh, Canberra Times, November 27th. Attitudes towards violence setting us back. Australia, it's time we talked about our attitudes towards violence against women. They simply don't reflect reality. Recent data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics, ABS. The numbers ABS. ABS. Personal Safety Survey, PSS, confirms that many Australians are getting some fundamental things wrong when it comes to attitudes towards men's violence against women. When you look at the recent PSS data alongside this year's National Community Attitude Survey, we see an Australian community grappling with perception versus reality. Mm. Despite concerted efforts to raise community awareness and understandings from victim-survivor advocates such as Rosie Batty, Grace Tame and Chanel Contos, we are a nation where not enough of us, of us believe that violence against women is a gendered issue. Concerningly, not, many Austra- not enough Australians also believe women when they report instances of violence and too many Australians blame women 
when they don't leave an abusive relationship. Australia, are we comfortable with this as a reflection of the attitudes we hold? Surely not. Indeed. This data is yet another reminder that we must shift our attitudes across our country if we are to have any hope of ending violence against women within a generation. While nearly half of Australians, that's 41%, think that domestic violence is committed equally by men and women, national data consistently shows that domestic violence perpetration is not gender neutral. It's highly gendered. Most people, men and women, who experience violence do so at the hands of a male perpetrator. Understanding the gendered nature of domestic violence, particularly when it comes to perpetration, is critical to better targeting and delivering effective solutions. Nearly a quarter of Australians believe that many women exaggerate the extent of men's violence against women. Yet the ABS data shows us that 9.9 million women have experienced domestic violence, emotional abuse or economic abuse by a partner since the age of 15. So that's, you know, 9.9 million women have experienced it themselves. Nearly a quarter of Australians believe that many... I've done that. If we do not believe victim survivors when they come forward and report their victimisation, a harrowing, dangerous and complex process for anyone to go through, we are subjecting them to further harm and putting their lives and the lives of their children at further risk. Are we comfortable with this, Australia? The cost of not believing women when they report men's violence is heavy. As Counting Dead Women Australia report, um, and as we write this, 53 women have been killed this year Six in the past week. That's shocking. The majority allegedly killed by the violence of men known to them. We need to accelerate efforts to change attitudes that dismiss, condone or justify the violence against women. Absolutely. The truth is the activity you're prepared to walk past is the stuff you're prepared to accept, isn't it? This is unacceptable. Isn't that how it's said? One in four Australians believe that a woman is partly responsible for the violence inflicted against her if she does not leave an abusive relationship. But when she does try to leave, we either don't believe her or apportion blame to something that she must have done. Australian women are in a lose-lose situation and their very lives are at risk. Changing our attitudes towards men's violence against women is critical. These individual attitudes bleed into every part of the institutions that govern our lives police, the courts, workplaces, schools, universities, media, because these institutions are made up of the individuals that make up the Australian community. Individuals with attitudes, and more often than not, attitudes that can disadvantage women. Our attitudes don't just impact us, they impact the work we do and the way we relate to each other. Critically, they impact on the children we're raising and the messages that they're receiving about the acceptability of violence. Absolutely. Serious self-reflection is needed now more than ever, particularly given the economic climate we're navigating. For the first time, the PSS looked at economic abuse. Economic abuse is twice as, uh, is around twice as prevalent amongst men as amongst women as men. So twice the number of women suffer economic abuse as men. 
If women do not have access to financial resources, they have little to no option when it comes to leaving an abusive relationship. The findings are a stark reminder that too many Australian women are experiencing violence to navigate the possible choice of living with violence or facing homelessness and poverty. Raising uh, Rates of partner violence and abuse are higher when there is economic instability and financial insecurity. So while it's important to understand the individual dynamics of economic abuse within a relationship, it's equally important to look at the policies that can induce financial insecurity. We must better understand and to better to understand how they may facilitate or exacerbate violence. The liquid asset test for Centrelink, low single parent patients, payments rather, and the partner test for the disability support pension, each of these policies penalise women experiencing financial abuse, leaving them further reliant on an abusive partner and trapped within a violent situation. The latest release of the PSS comes at the start of the annual 16 Days of Activism Against Gender-Based Violence, a global movement to prevent violence against women and girls. If there's one thing that we implore each Australian to do during these 16 Days of Activism is to look at your own attitudes towards mm. violence against women. Exactly. They have an impact and they are within your power to change. Uh, Karma got fully involved with the 16 Days of Violence a couple of years ago. Remember was, when we did that march awesome. down to the yeah. park in front of the Sandling building? All orange with placards and It was chants. great. And I felt so empowered. And yeah. we sang, yeah, it was fun. I Am Woman, on the way down. And we were carrying the banner, Jeffrey. It was great. It was the, and Natasha organised that and it was just Brilliant. fabulous. Yep, yeah, it was. <clears throat> the article concludes, violence against women and family violence is a national crisis in Australia. Shifting attitudes that condone and excuse violence is one step towards eliminating these harms. Australians, open your eyes, hearts and minds. Join us and change the story for a safer option for women and men. Well, how can we get that happening, Marion? Uh, right, a- well, we start today. We do not walk past... The actions that we would not tolerate, yeah? yeah? If some, we walk past something that looks abusive, it probably is. And if it's not, and we get told to mind our own business, say, okay, beg my pa- beg your pardon. I mean, it's going to take a long-term campaign. Absolutely. A lot of investment. Be, but it's always one step, yeah? yeah? One step you take forwards. It may be a baby step, but it's a step nonetheless. Yeah. But you've yeah. got to persevere. It can't just be one ad campaign right. or and one clever little... And you must believe, people, if they say they're being abused, they're being abused. Mm. They feel they're being abused, mm. yeah? That's really important. And that's the thing. If you if you don't believe what people... If, I can't believe that 41% think that it's perpetrated equally by women and men. And what I think, you know, the answer to that for me often is that when somebody said, says men abuse women, they tend to mean, and that somebody will usually pop up and say, oh, yeah, but women do it too. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that undermines the statement the whole, immediately. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's a bit like we need to go to the news. Climate change or all sorts of Absolutely. issues. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly the No, I, I, I was just appalled to read this um, piece, and I think it's uh, a national shame 
it really? is a national shame and particularly Australian shame. We're isolated. We need to do something about it. Do something about it today. Yeah, exactly. All right, we've got the 11 o'clock um, Community Federation National News coming up and we will return after that. 11 o'clock, after that news. So um, we shall return. Indeed, but we uh, just count down to 11 o'clock and we'll be with the news. Should be at 2XX 98.3, your support is important to us. Become part of your community station by subscribing, donating or volunteering. Visit us at 2xxfm.org.au Well, that was a bright and breezy uh, promo for Karma, and all I can do is endorse it. Our program's uh, been supported by 2XX for nigh on 15 years, and the station itself is the second longest running community radio station in uh, the history of the country. So I um, should feel very proud about that. Um, just another couple of things to promote um, women who are uh, involved with the um, support group with Louise. They're going to have a Christmas lunch on 15th, 15th of December from 11.30am till 1pm. So just turn up and uh, there'll be lunch and presents. Sounds like a lot of fun. Um, and starting uh, next January the 23rd, there'll be uh, the Circle of Security uh, course. And again, call, reserve, uh, call Louise to reserve a spot and uh, have a chat to her about what's uh, intended in that program. Uh, we've got the pinprick uh, hep C testing, um, especially Tuesday and Friday, but it's much easier with the pinprick testing. Um, what else have we got? We've got the venoscope, of course, uh, available, the clinic, and uh, also the AGM, which is this Thursday, 30th of November, Thursday at Havelock House, the Federation Room, 85 Northbourne Avenue, Turner. Okay, um, we've got a piece about uh, New South Wales um, issuing an alert after death and overdoses linked to illicit vape juice. We had a sort of uh, preview of that with a, a community alert last week, but this is a piece in the paper uh, by Jesse Lynch, 24th of November. And there's a quote, overdose has occurred in a matter of minutes with as little as six to eight puffs of a vape if it contains an itazine, which is a very strong synth synthetic opioid. An urgent health alert has been issued by New South Wales Health after three overdoses, one fatal, were linked to potent opioids found in black market vape juice refills. The alert followed the discovery of nitazine's highly potent synthetic opioids in illegal vape juice containers. In one of the reported cases, a person used a vape refill liquid, believing it to contain a synthetic cannabinoid similar to THC, but instead it contained a nitazine, leading to an overdose within minutes. New South Wales Health said, quote, nitazines can be stronger and last far longer than fentanyl. Uh, they are far stronger than most other opioids and an overdose can be caused by taking even a small amount. Nitazines can also affect a person's breathing more, uh, more than other opi opioids. Overdose has occurred in a matter of minutes with as little as six to eight pu puffs of a vape if it contains a nitazine, even amongst people who are used to using opioids. They cautioned that fentanyl test strips will not detect nitazines. In New South Wales, while vapes that uh, do not contain nicotine are legal and can be purchased and used by adults, the sale of vapes containing nicotine uh, is illegal. 
Since October 2021, nicotine-containing vapes and vape juice have been classified as prescription-only medicines in Australia, and there's been a very heated debate back and forward about whether um, properly made vapes are a harm reduction um, technique that help people cut down or hopefully quit smoking, or just a backdoor way for big tobacco to get youngsters um, hooked on smoking. Um, I actually think the quality vape is a, a way to encourage people to cut down, but that's just my opinion. Um, New South Wales Health is continuing, continuing to conduct regular tests on vapes in its laboratories to monitor and control the quality of products in the market as part of a broader initiative to curb the health risks associated uh, with, with vaping. So watch out for that. All right, go to a song. We haven't played this before. It's the first song Black Sabbath ever put out. It's uh, Black Sabbath by Black Sabbath on the album Black Sabbath.
first track ever by the mighty Black Sabbath who changed yeah. the music landscape and Did Ozzy Osbourne's ever. still alive. And thanks didn't to they change Sharon? the visual landscape too? I mean, courtesy of Sharon, if you like. Our lives with a drug user has been fairly phenomenal internationally. You oh, know, it's very intelligent woman. To, how do you live with a, a legless man? Yeah, a man And she also learned literally. the music trade from her dad, who was very big in the UK. Yeah. So... Well, Learn both sides of it. Both yeah? sides of the story. Literally consumer wise and management wise. Yep. She's done anyway, look, well. Just on the backs of that, really, it's an um, article from uh, filtermag.org from November the 21st. NADA director calls abstinence only approach catastrophic. 
for uh, the OD crisis. So a top federal health official is offering some pointed critiques of the United States drug criminalisation model, stressing how politicising substance use disorder, or SUD, has fostered a system of incarceration that increases overdose risk while biasing research that could reveal the benefits as well as the risks of substances such as marijuana and psilocybin. She also rebuked treatment approaches that focused exclusively on abstinence. National Institute on Drug Abuse, or NADA, director Nora Volkov made the comments in an October appearance at the International Drug Policy Reform Conference. Speaking on a panel with the Drug Policy Alliance Executive Director, Executive Director Cassandra Frederick. On one of, one of the conversation points touched on the dangers of focusing on abstinence in SUD treatment rather than meeting people who use drugs where they're at, which, if you'll remember at the beginning, we say that's what karma do, meet mm. people where, where they're, they're at. at. Yeah. The, quote, inflexibility, unquote, of abstinence only costs a lot of lives, Volkov said. If a person wants to get treatment and abstain from drug use, that's great. As a theoretical ideal, the official said, but to basically impose that as a reality for everyone who have very different backgrounds and opportunities, I think it's sort of like a magical thought and not practical. Mm. In general, the policies and strategies the US has historically pursued to combat drug use are, quote, not helping to address the overdose crisis evidenced by the fact that overdose fatalities are continuing to rise, Volkov said. And this is coming from a very senior person. Absolutely. Uh, director of the National Institute on Drug Abuse, so yeah. um, it's not just coming from nobody. Uh, what it tells us is that we're, what we're doing is clearly not sufficient. What we do need to do is change this, she said at the panel, a recording of which was shared with Marijuana Moment. Quote, this very polarised categorical perspective that it's either you go abstinent or we don't pay any attention to you and we send you to jail is simply catastrophic. I mean, it's basically contributed to what we've seen as a horrific problem in our country with horrible fatalities like we've never seen. She also dis discussed her research has increasingly identified a strong relationship between substance use disorder and, quote, adverse social environments, including cultures where drug use is stigmatised. One example of a, quote, commercial determinant that's compounded substance use issues, Volkov said, is the US carceral system itself. That's the incarceration system, mm. I think she means. Um, what are the so commercial de determinants of health? What uh, are the commercial determinants of addiction? Two questions asked. Um, there are commercial detriments intertwined with the marketing of substances like alcohol and tobacco, she said. However, quote, we also have jails and those are commercial entities. Indeed they are. And a lot, lot of them it in the States... like the discussions that we've been having over the last few years, doesn't it, well, They need fresh bodies to make money. They they're, do, they're, they do. And if you don't fill a jail, it's not economically viable. No, yeah? you need to make a profit. Absolutely. Volkov also expressed their frustrations with policies that lead medical professionals to report pregnant women when they're seeking treatment after testing positive for illicit substances. And in Australia or in yeah. Canberra, if yeah. you have uh, a positive for an illicit drug, you have your baby taken off you at birth. It's been a common story. Indeed. Um, 
Uh, where did I get to? The practice? That practice, which he said takes place in half of the states in the US and can lead to incarceration in five states, is significantly contributing to why mortality rates for pregnant women are increasing. Indeed. Quote, what's happening is these women are desperate because they're saying, I wouldn't go to treatment, I don't want to end up in jail, and I wouldn't want to lose my child, she said, echoing points that she made in a 2023 op-ed piece for Stat News magazine. So, of course, you don't seek treatment, you're in a very dangerous situation, illicit drug markets, and that makes you more desperate. Mm. The NIDA director said that when she goes to testify before Congress on drug policy issues, she tries to make it abundantly clear that, quote, you don't want to politicise science to inform policymaking. Unfortunately, she went on, you saw during the COVID pandemic a horrific politicisation of science, which is very, very unfortunate because it negatively affects everyone and so that permeates a lot of things. But my belief is certainly science should not be outside the political or ideological world. Hasn't that changed a lot, Marion? Science is not accepted like it well, used Jeffrey, to be. Well, Jeffrey, how many times have you said they want evidence-based policy yeah. making and then when the evidence is given to them because it doesn't reflect the emotional, um, the thoughts that they're having not good at enough. the time, yeah. it's not the right evidence. Mm. It's not the evidence they want. DPA's Frederick pointed out, however, that it's been long been the case that policies, politics and individual ideologies do permeate the type of research that's being funded into drug issues. It's the same in Australia. It doesn't change. Quote, the kind of research that's prioritised is not happening in a vacuum, right, she said. It's shaped by what people want to know, what questions are put forward and who gets to ask the questions. So I think part of the thing that we want to engage and interrogate is how do we change the questions? There's a relative lack of research on the benefits of drug use, which typically isn't prioritised for funding. And that's true for here as well. Specifically, Frederick said that the type of research that prioritised is focused on identifying the harms of drugs a reflection of the drug war mentality that shaped public policy. Um, there's a relative lack of research on how drugs operate in society and what are the ways that drugs help people. I agree 100%, Volkov replied. I mean, I think that the notion, very much the focus in terms of drugs are harmful, 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 <laughs> is an ideological one. And in many ways, actually, from our perspective of what is our role as an institute, it is also to un it is to also understand what are the effects of drugs. There are people who currently use illicit drugs like cannabis to derive medical benefits, for example, she said. We need to investigate them so that we can understand whether they have benefits or not. And that information needs to be given to the public, she said. So this is very obvious when it comes to, for example, cannabis. But we're seeing right now also expanded to the interest on psychedelic drugs like psilocybin and ecstasy. And it's our responsibility to provide that knowledge. That is the knowledge about how beneficial I'm impressed so far by Laura Volkov's uh, piece. Indeed. Early, earlier on in 2023, Volkov said there is emerging evidence that psychedelics carry, quote, significant potential, 
There's therapeutic treatments for certain mental health conditions, and it's a topic of great interest for researchers. See, I think in the past, researchers might have wanted to look at the benefits of cannabis, but really weren't allowed to. Well, it's really difficult if what you want to do is investigate what the population is doing as opposed to what you want them to do. Yeah. And and what she's saying, which is quite legitimate, is why don't we investigate what the drugs are doing for the people that take them because that might inform might why they helpful. take them yeah. and what we need to know to do to respond to or to do with that information. I agree. And that action. Uh, the director of Marijuana Moment magazine in 2021 uh, that researchers need to prioritise psychedelics research as more people are likely to use them as they're exposed to studies showing the therapeutic potential of the substances. In 2022, she argued that drug criminalisation has, quote, created a structurally racist system in which black people are treated worse than others. Volko also talked about the relationship between racial prejudice and drug criminalisation in 2021, saying that the United States is, quote, currently reckoning with a long history of discriminatory and racist policies, many of which still continue to today. Indeed. In a separate issue back in 2021, the health official reiterated, reiterated that the current federal drug policy leads to disproportionate enforcement against communities of colour and can actually increase the risk of overdose deaths. She stopped short of explicitly endorsing decriminalisation, but signalled that it was time for that kind of an approach to effectively combat substance use disorder and overdose. Indeed. And in fact, you know, that goes back to the title of the article, is NIDA Director Calls Abstinence-Only Approach Catastrophic for, for the Overdose Crisis. I think that sums and up her attitude. Absolutely. And we could have said that in one line and that would have covered it all, but in fact that... That whole article is really at, informative. At least things are starting, the discussion is starting to change, if well, not the policy. Well, when they the start to change in the United States, the rest you of the world. know that the rest of the world is already doing it. Yeah. yeah. What was that statement? Was it from Winston Churchill that I often drag out? I the try United everything. States tries everything else and then does what you've been doing for ages. When everything else fails, they do the first thing that you thought of. I think that's Churchill's um, contribution. Yep. Uh, this is a song for Dave. Um, he loves the Ramones. It's from the It's Alive album, only a short one. It's uh, Now I Want to Sniff Some Glue, <laughs> the Ramones. <laughs>
Well, that cuts out pretty fast. Um, that was uh, the Ramones, It's Alive, and the song is Now I Want to Sniff Some Glue. Okay, we're off to uh, South Africa. I don't think we've had too many stories from No, we there. haven't. No? no, every now and then, but very rarely. And yeah. given that, you know, one of the long-time favourite um, cannabinoid products was uh, was a South African... Durban, Durban poison. poison. was a South African... Yeah, drug. way it's back really in the day. Quite Interesting that now they're thinking about um, yeah changing their attitude. Yeah, it's taken a while. Apartheid's mm, been over for a while. Very long time. Uh, this is by Alexander Lechtman. November, November 21st, South Africa poised to break from apartheid-era cannabis prohibition. So that sounds encouraging. Mm. South Africa has taken a big step towards decriminalisation or at least limited legalisation of cannabis. The country won't be opening up any dispensaries for people to buy the drug, but adults would be able to grow and use it without fearing arrest or jail. The move would undo criminalisation that has, has its roots in the country's apartheid era. South Africa's National Assembly, the lower chamber of parliament, passed its Cannabis for Private Purposes Bill on November the 14th. To become law, it now has to be approved by the upper chamber, the National Council of Provinces. Parliament is actually required by law to reform cannabis policy following a 2018 High Court decision that found banning the use or cultivation to be unconstitutional. Mm, wow. Interesting. Very interesting. The court ordered the legislature to pass decriminalisation within two years. If the bill passes, Parliament would finally meet its legal obligation, albeit three years too late. Indeed, I was going to say that. It's a bit late. A little bit late. Mm. Under the terms, adults could possess and grow cannabis, but use would have to happen in private. There's no medical, no specific provision for medical use. People could gift cannabis to other adults, but buying or selling the drug would remain illegal. That's an interesting concept, it's isn't a, it? You can gift it to Gift someone. it, but not sell. Yeah, yeah. People uh, could also still be charged with crimes for public possession or use or allowing children access to the drug with penalties ranging from fines to jail time. Mm. The bill additionally includes expungement of criminal records for cannabis. With past convictions for use or possession, the record would be automatically expunged. I like the sound of that. Me too. People who believe they're eligible could write a petition for expungement and would receive a a certificate of confirmation if it's granted. The original version of the bill set limits for personal possession of 600 grams of cannabis at home or 100 grams outside the home and for home cultivation of up to four flowering plants or possession of one plant outside the home. As Marijuana Moment reported, the Assembly's Justice Committee removed these possession and cultivation limits from the bill before it passed. But Justice and Correctional Service Minister Ronald Lamola has now been given the task of drafting these limits along with other regulations like child protections subject to parliamentary approval. South Africa's current cannabis law is based on the 1992 Drugs and Drug Trafficking Act, which was passed by the white minority-ruled government when the country country still upheld its racist apartheid system against the country's black majority. That law was an update on the apartheid government's first anti-drug legislation, which passed in 1971 and included a strict ban on cannabis. 
The old drug law remains on the books, leading cannabis advocacy organisation Fields of Green for All to, uh, yeah, to describe it as the last apartheid law. Isn't that interesting? Mm. The last nail in apartheid. Indeed. Nepo- uh, Tembiza Weitgen, a history professor at the University of Johannesburg explains from the beginning the apartheid's regime anti-drug laws were rooted in racism. Yeah, to the ruling National Party, the use of drugs by white people appeared to threaten Afrikaner religious culture and the future of a white South Africa. They hyped the drug problem as, quote, a form of terrorism that is more dangerous than the armed terrorism that we're familiar with on our country's borders. Mm. Just a big call, isn't it? More yeah. dangerous than terrorism? If you, well, if you took, if you made everything a, um, a, a black versus white policy, yeah, I suppose, you made yeah. it come within the purview yeah. of the government. It's a stretch, yeah? Yeah. yeah. And a terrorist issue, wow. Punishments were severe, with prison terms of two to ten years handed down for possession of a single cannabis joint. Mm. Uh, Vaichin goes on to explain how cannabis uh, enforcement fell disproportionately on black South Africans. Gee, I'm surprised. Mm. And also how cannabis became practically the single focus of the country's drug war, with arrests and and convictions for cannabis making up over 95% of the total for drugs. The promise of substance use treatment as an alternative to incarceration was a farce with under 1% of defendants receiving it and zero treatment for black defendants mm. whose clinics received no support from the apartheid re- regime. What a surprise. That's terrible. Yeah. Apartheid ended in 1994 and the country transitioned to democratic governance, but the old drug law remains on the books, leading cannabis advocacy, advocacy organisation Fields, Fields of Green for All. What a great name. Mm. To describe it as, quote, the last apartheid law. The African National Congress, the anti-apartheid resistance party, political home to legendary activists and the first post-apartheid president, Nelson Mandela, and ruling party of South Africa for nearly 30 years. And I think a lot of people are getting annoyed with the ANC. They are indeed. What have they done for the townships and the poor black people, really? Very little. Promised a lot, but haven't delivered delivered a lot. Uh, continued the harsh anti-drug policies of its predecessors, adopting militarised suppression, sprain and incarceration against cannabis users. Members of Fields of Green for All were arrested for cannabis in 2010 and ultimately sued the federal government with the case being heard in 2017. During the same period, Rastafari lawyer Gareth Prince and Dagger Party leader Jeremy Acton also sued over the national cannabis law Both cases were combined and in September 2018, South Africa's Constitutional Court, the highest in the nation, ruled that prohibiting adults uh, from possessing and cultivating cannabis in private was unconstitutional. It's interesting. It'd be interesting to read their constitution to see where it said that, wouldn't it? Mm. As of November the 14th, the Cannabis for Private Purposes Bill had support from the African National Congress and most other political parties, including the official opposition, the Democratic Alliance. The right-wing Freedom Front Plus and the African Christian Democratic Party oppose it, but are not big enough to stop it from passing in the upper 
chamber. Well, let's hope it proceeds because that would be a huge change and that it might influence the rest of South Africa. That's the end of the article here. Am I ready to go on for another page? It's not there. Yeah, no, I I noticed that. Um, Look, just the fact that they're one house vote away from doing away with the old laws is a good thing. Yeah, five years after it was due to... Well, three years after it was due to be finished. And I think removing the um, convictions on, on record... Is a great I think the expungement is a great huge. lesson for everybody else, yeah. isn't it? Really, that's a step further than a lot of places yeah. are prepared to go. I think California offered even money to people who'd been in jail for cannabis offences to start a small business. I'm, wow. I might be wrong, but I think that was the intention well, at one the stage. The interesting thing about that is if they have expunged um, laws in in California, for instance, or, or people's records in California... Does that mean that it takes away the um, the three strikes and you're out? Does that undermine the three it's strikes good, and you're out law? It's a good question because it doesn't change the federal law at all. If the first and the second one are um, cannabis-based laws and they're the ones that have been broken, that means that they're back to one strike, if that. Be yeah? interesting to find out. And it would be interesting. Joe Biden was very proud to announce that he was a sponsor of that law. He's a big law and order man, a, Joe. I mean, yeah. and there isn't a war that he doesn't like, you know, even though his head's back in the Soviet Cold War era. But anyway, yeah. that's another issue. Uh, might play a quick song. This is um, Queens of the Stone Age and uh, Feel Good Hits of the Summer.
that was Queens of the Stone Age and feel good hits of the su- feel good hit of the summer. Sorry, it's eleven thirty eleven forty on uh, Community Radio Two Double X FM ninety eight point three. You have Jeff and Marion in Studio One, and we're off to uh, the Philippines, which we're reported a lot on and hoping that the former president would, in fact, be investigated by the yeah. International and Criminal it looks Court. Like they're finding a way to squirm Weasel out. out. Yeah. yeah. Well, this piece is uh, House Resolution urging the Marcos administration to cooperate with the International Criminal Court, quote, not a priority. Mm. Well, that's not encouraging. Uh, it's pna.gov by Zadie de la Vola, November 24th. House of Representatives Majority Leader Manuel Delipe said Friday that House Resolution 1477, urging the Marcos administration to collaborate with the International Criminal Court, probe against former President Rodrigo Duterte's war on drugs, is not a priority. Mm. Delipe said the Speaker, Ferdinand Romualdez, has not issued any directive regarding the International Criminal Court Directive or Investigation, quote, which means that the measure has to go through the normal legislative process. As Chair of the Committee on Rules, I know for a fact that there is no instruction from the House from the office of the Speaker that requires us to give special attention to the House resolution seeking our cooperation with the International Criminal Court. This will be treated like all other House resolutions, but we have to respect the autonomy of the legislative process and the necessity for adherence to established procedures. It just sounds like blah, 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 blah. It's not not very important. Um, And it's basically, essentially for people who don't know, Duterte was a, a mayor down south at the election Dubai before Island. last. Yeah. And he boasted that he was going to fix the drug war, which is people are upset about crime, by telling police, shoot drug, drug users. And you know. he, in fact, rode around on his motorbike while he was mayor of Davao, shooting drug users or drug dealers as he saw them on the street. R- quite random. And no identification open. decided that that was what he was going to do and that was how to fix the drug, not only the uh, drug commu- consumption problem and the junkie consum- using problem, but criminalisation, criminal activity of all kinds related to drug use and he was going to fix it by shooting drug users. It was brutal. And then when he became president, he urged the military and the police to do the same. And he gave them immunity. Well, he didn't break his promise. Yes, (laughs) they did so with impunity and then we understand there was offered a bounty on the head of each drug dealer. A lot of ordinary people were shot. A lot of average Joes were just raided um, and then shot on site and the guns and the drugs... Planted. Drugs planted next to them. Yeah. In an interview on sidelines of an event in Tag... Greek City, Marcos, who's the current president, said it's not right for any outsider to meddle in the affairs of the Philippines. However, he did say it's not unusual for House members to call for his administration to cooperate with the International Criminal Court. But as I've always said, there are still problems in terms of jurisdiction and sovereignty. Now, if we can solve these problems, then that would be something else. But, uh, and he quotes in uh, Filipino, um, such Questions are somehow fundamental, he told the media. So it doesn't sound very keen. No. Delepo said, former President Duterte is held in high esteem by the House leadership, but it would not suppress any member of Congress advocating for IC International Criminal Court support in investigating the anti-drug campaign. 
quote, the, the democratic principles that underpin the legislative process allow for the expression of diverse opinions. Oh, that's big of them, so you can say what you like. <laughs> the House is composed of 310 independent minds and diverse cultural and political backgrounds, so it's important that we hear the sentiment of everyone, he said. He said all members of the House are entitled to voice their perspectives within the democratic framework, ensuring a robust and inclusive discussion on matters of national importance. In the Senate, Senator Rosa Hontiveros said <clears throat> she is still hoping that President Marcos, quote, would really command the executive to make way for that process. I hope the executive will also pay heed to these senses of to these senses of legislators about important issues, human rights, important institutions, and processes like the International Criminal Court. She said in a media interview on Friday. Hontiveros said she's seriously considering filing a similar resolution in the Senate urging the administration to collaborate with the International Criminal Court. It's starting to look like Duterte is going to slip the noose, doesn't it? Well, what the, if they're Possibly. referring it back to saying, well, everybody's got a different opinion on this, and really they had focused directly on the time during which Philippines was a member of the International Criminal Court. And Duterte which meant was that, president. That jurisdiction, that the ICC... Uh, well, the Philippines came under the ICC's jurisdiction and therefore that was only those two years yep. while Duterte was in government before they withdrew from the international court. So for two years they were subject to the ICC's That's right. uh, rules and regulations and uh, rules, regulations and restrictions uh, and that was what was focused on from the ICC and yep. the lawyers were going to charge him under and now what they're saying is it sounds like they're passing it back to the very diverse opinion <laughs> of, the of 310 yeah. independent minds as, it, as if it is just a suggestion from one person in their House of Representatives to comply with the ICC when, in fact, it was an obligation of the Philippines government to comply with the ICC because they were members of the ICC. Well, the ICC calling it a war crime. I mean, they That's weren't right. missing and words. in fact, it was. It they was, had yeah. Up until, for the first six months, during which time they were still members of the ICC, Duterte personally had killed 6,000 people. And yeah? boasted about and it. And boasted about yeah, it. Yeah, no. And then... And very crude fellow. ...encouraged the police and the military to do the same thing and provided a bounty on the head of each dealer, drug dealer, that they shot. And yet he's still With no very proof. popular. That's an interesting well, thing. Well, yeah. I mean, his daughter that is the vice president yeah. of, the, of the Philippines. He's got so it all sussed out, hasn't he? It, yeah, it, and the, he's still got supporters. I found a song that you've been hoping for for a while, Jefferson <laughs> Airplane. Playing the White Rabbit, I yes, believe. Grey Slick was Grey Slick. Well, yep. I, I, I have it and I shall play it. All right.
Was uh, Grace Slick and White Rabbit, a bit of a classic. She's got such a distinctive voice, hasn't she? Yeah, you can, uh, you can just, I can see her doing it, Jeffrey. And I don't have a great vision of Grace Slick. She was just a very good-looking woman. She was a model, actually. I told you that. Oh, I think. you did. Yeah, she yeah, was a model, but also very prolific. At, she was frustrated by the music scene, I think, because she was dismissed as a model, yeah? Uh, so right. obviously no brains. Let alone how and women was, got treated. Yeah, which is very difficult for her, but she was actually very creative and uh, very clever and a lot of their um, songs related to drug well, use. And they're remembered, yeah. Yeah, hallucinogens, yeah. Look, I just wanted to point out this is a way too long story to ever read oh, yes, in several huge. shows. But yeah. I discovered I used to subscribe to this magazine called New Internationalist. It's sort of a global look at trying to make the world a more socially justice just place. Well, there used to be, or there probably still is, a party called the International Socialists. More than likely. Yeah. But New Internationalist was a very, you know, it was a good read. Anyway, I found on the website um, two-part story by Naomi Fowler which uh, looks at drug war myths and also looks at um, the impact of taxes on the war on people who use drugs. And it's a very interesting take, and it goes back to Nixon, you know, announcing drugs as public enemy number one and all that um, stuff. And uh, just the amount that since that announcement, the US government has spent an estimated $1 trillion on their war on drugs. Yeah. Um, and it's got a lot of interesting facts, but it's it's a very detailed, uh, with quite a few contributors. I've got it on the website of News from oh, the Drug War Front. Okay. So if you're interested, just tap in News from the Drug War Front on, its, on Facebook. It's on, it, on, on its page. It's also on my 
personal page, uh, Jeffrey Ward, but just on the Drug War Front, you'll find it um, very, very interesting. Um, examination, another fresh take at the damage mm. done by prohibition, you know, the impact on the tax system. Well, that, that quote from Nixon, Nixon says, America's pub- this is in 1971, America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. In order to fight and defeat this enemy, it's necessary to wage an all a new all-out offensive. I've asked Congress to provide the legislative authority and the funds to fuel this kind of an offensive. This will be a worldwide offensive. If we're going to have a successful offensive, we need more money. If this is not enough, more will be provided. So he had it in his head, front of mind. Oh, this it. is what I'm going to target. This is what I'm going to do. This will be my legacy. This was Nixon's legacy, when in fact what ended up being his legacy was the Westgate <laughs> disaster. <laughs> yeah? Well, yeah, um, a disaster. A sh- but this war on drugs, we're still living with. Well, there's a good quote in the part two from a fellow called Sergio Hernandez who says, what is paradoxical and also grossly unfair is that producer countries will end up being late to the regulation game after decades of suffering the perverse consequences of prohibition, while the benefits will be reaped by countries that are consolidating a legal industry first, such as the US and Canada. And that is ironic, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it is. The, the US, which was number one enforcer, of prohibition and the war on people who use drugs with a shift of, you know, attitude and, oh, we can make money out of cannabis. And it was a ground-up movement too, wasn't it? That's true. Yes, and it's still going up. Well, it's still... um, Which is the hard bit about it. It's still regulated as as Schedule 1 federally. As Schedule 1 drug, yes. And Schedule 1 over there means the worst of the worst. No medical benefit whatsoever. Whatsoever, which is... Insane. In fact, their 15 years of of, uh, research by the, uh, who was it, the Drug Enforcement, DEA, Drug Enforcement, they funded the research, found there was no medical use whatsoever for it. And that was because, as we said in the uh, statement from, what was it, Jeffrey, the, the article that we did, the, the NIDA director calls the absent, absence only, yeah, um, Nora Volkov, that it act, what matters is what questions you ask. So the great example of that is when when the National Drug Abuse and when the National Drug Enforcement Agency did the research, they also controlled the questions. Yeah, exactly. So they asked the questions in such a way as to get, get the, the answers they wanted. that they wanted. Yeah, there's a piece we also haven't got time to do this week, but it's uh, entitled Drug Legalisation Handbook Urges Individual Reparations and uh, Repealing the CSA, which is uh, not quite sure what the CSA is. Where are you up to? Um, oh, I'm reading the wrong It's filter mag. Uh, it's time to end prohibition instead legalise and regulate all drugs, including yeah. according to a new group, Reason Foundation. Mm. From a coalition of analysts and advocacy groups, authors say the nearly century-long drug war has totally failed. And 84-page report was released on yeah. October the 31st. So yeah. um, m- much like we've been saying, um, you know, America's at a crossroads, crossroads. The drug wars failed to achieve any of the goals espoused by the key interest groups, whether it's keeping drugs out of the hands of kids or preventing overdoses or just increasing human freedom. Yeah. So it's... Um, 
Look, it, it, look. The, the point is, this is a big article, but it's a really interesting and important article. And what I guess we're trying to say by using that is that the issue of drug legislation is not only is it international, national, local, national, and international, but it's economic. It's social, it's political, it's, it's judicial. There isn't a part of society that it doesn't touch or isn't touched that isn't touched by it. No. So drugs are not just an issue for you and me and the few of us that talk about drugs. It's everybody and everything. It's political, you know, it's economic, it's environmental, and we try to tell you that every week, mm. that somewhere along the line everybody would be roped into mm. the matters that relate to the Ill illegal status of drugs in any form or drugs and alcohol. It's moral and it's social, but everybody's touched by it. One way or another. One way or another, you can't avoid it. No, I couldn't agree more. All right, listeners, that's it for another week. Um, take care. We will return. Uh, don't forget the Calm AGM on Thursday. Yeah. Oh, yes, that's at, right. Uh, Havelock House. Havelock House yeah. at 12, 12 o'clock for lunch and then 1 o'clock for the for AGM. The yep. Please come and look after yourselves. Stay Indeed. safe. Take care of each other. And don't be mean to each other. No, we've got enough of that. Or to yourself. All right, okay. we'll leave you with some of the theme song, which is Golden Brown See by The Stranglers. Jack Free. Take Bye -bye. care. Bye. Texture like sun Lays me down With my mind she runs Throughout the night No need to fight Never a frown With golden brown Every time Just like the last On her ship Tied to the mast Two distant lands Takes both my hands Never a frown with golden brown Golden brown, fine attemptress through the ages she's heading west From far away, stays for a day 